Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Vinny and Mary, for worship. That sounded wonderful. And thanks, Lindley, for that message. Uh, yeah, we're uh, talking a lot. Actually, we have a, me- a, a meeting today after church with pastoral council and myself to talk more about all this stuff. So be praying for all that. Uh, I have a few house cleaning items just to the normal announcements to go through before we get started. Uh, as you know, we've made some changes in our giving system online. We've, we've implemented a new church management software. Thank the good Lord that we did that right before this all happened. And, uh, it's really been helpful. So we're moving, if you've been using Simple Give as a, as your giving portal, uh, for reoccurring gifts, we'd ask that you go on, on the, the giving page on our site and cancel that out and reinstitute it with Breeze. Uh, you'll see the, all the directions there on the giving page for that. Uh, that would be very helpful. Um, we're eventually going to phase out Simple Give altogether. Also, uh, you can still give by Venmo. Uh, just look for 6-8 Vineyard Church uh, on there. Uh, you can send a check to the church at 1116 uh, East Lancaster Avenue, Bryn Mawr. I'm trying to read the address right here, 19010. And remember, also, we're still raising money for the Middle East Kids Camp. Uh, and uh, $150 sends a kid in the Middle East in a war-torn country to camp for a week, and it would just be a real blessing on them just to eat well and have fun and be around other kids and hear the gospel. And there are many, many Muslims that send their kids to these camps, so it's kind of exciting. Um, uh, parents, remember Sundays, uh, every Wednesday, our um, material for kids is updated on on our website. It's the third banner at the top. You can just wait till they scroll through, or you can click to go through them, uh, but it's the third banner. You'll see it, and just click on that, and that gives you all the material you need to to have kids' church for your kids at home and things like that. We hope that that's helpful. Kim is available at kids at six eight org if you have questions. Uh, we are going. We've made the decision to go virtual for um, our vacation Bible school this summer. Uh, most churches are canceling or uh, going virtual themselves. So uh, we just don't have any clear answers on what, what the summer is going to look like. So it's better to do that now. Um, and details will be coming out soon about that. Um, we still have 6-8 hoodies. I should have worn mine this morning. That would have been nice. But we have 6-8 ho- hoodies. We're asking for a $25 donation. They're at my house. You can pick them up or I'll deliver them, whatever you'd like. Uh, and I just also want to reiterate, you know, kind of tying off of what Lindley just said there, uh, we do have uh, about 10 people in the church that are trained as spiritual mentors. Really great opportunity to, you know, connect with somebody and hear, you know, help. The, they will help you hear what the Holy Spirit is leading you in in life. We're going to talk about that actually a little bit more in this sermon today. So I won't say too much about it now, but, but the uh, email address is spiritualmentors at 68.org if you want to uh, get hooked up with one. It could be a one-time meeting. It could be a, a couple of meetings. It could be, you know, for a longer period of time, like once a week you get, you get online and, you know, talk with somebody about your spiritual formation. It's really, really helpful. Uh, I have somebody once a month I get together with online to talk about my spiritual direction. So uh, let me pray for us before we get started into the sermon. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everybody 
listening, for those that will listen into the future um, as this is recorded, we just praise you that you are walking with us, that uh, even when things don't seem right, that uh, you have a plan and that you are in control. And we ask that we would have patience. We would have patience with this whole process. We would have patience with each other. We would have patience with differing opinions and that you would uh, lead us and, and guide us in our whole uh, outlook and response to all that's going on around us. We thank you, Father God, that you are a loving God uh, that you are a strong God, that you are a protective God. And we just pray for all of those that are suffering due to COVID-19. We praise you that there are people that are brave working in hospitals. We know that some of our own people are health care workers or, you know, first responders, things like that. And we just pray for them that you would give them protection uh, and give them a sense of, uh, give them give them the skin of an elephant, uh, you know, a heart, a soft heart, but thick skin as they, as they war- march into difficult situations. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I'm excited. We, uh, we've been looking at the portraits of Jesus in the book of John uh, for weeks now. And uh, today we're in John 16, 7 through 15. If you want to grab a Bible, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, where he paints the portrait of Jesus specifically as giver of the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is, for some, a a vague concept. You know, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to the disciples in this passage. So let's just read John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. I'll read it for you if you want to just want to listen, or you can follow along in your Bible. It says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. So Jesus is, let me just say, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's going to be crucified. He's going to go away, and he's preparing his disciples. So he says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So, As I said, Jesus is going away, which is making his disciples probably a little bit confused and a little bit unsettled, I would be. And he goes to great lengths at this moment or during these last moments to prepare them for the future and to assure them of the future help from the Holy Spirit in their lives. But here's the major question for us today. What is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a believer or in the life of the church as a whole, right? What's the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer? It's an important question, but a confusing question at the same time, since in one sense, the Spirit is elusive, you know, to us. And Jesus walked among us. He's easy to, 
easier to grasp or understand, right? We can read his words. Uh, the disciples could hug him and touch him and shake his hand, you know. And we read of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, yet the nature of that relationship is ethereal in experience, right? Now, certain Christian traditions acknowledge the Holy Spirit, yet their pursuit of the Spirit has gone cold. Uh, others may reflect more abuse of the Spirit in their tradition. And what we need is balance. A deep, healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, extremes would seem to be false expressions of that relationship. So truth lies in the middle someplace, as usual, right? So uh, we don't want to neglect or abuse the relationship we have with God in the ways that he offers himself. And the Spirit's given to believers for many purposes. Uh, to not understand or pursue that relationship would be a travesty. We would miss out both on a lot of our spiritual formation and a, a great deal on our calling as his people. You know, think about it this way. If the Trinity were a tricycle, right, missing a wheel, it wouldn't really go anywhere, would it? So who's the Holy Spirit to us? Who's the Holy Spirit? I want you to strap yourselves in a little bit and just listen intently because this is going to be a wild sort of informational ride as we use this passage to dive into the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is to us. Some sermons, sermons are dif different and some of them are informational. And this may be much more of an informational sermon, but I wanted you to hear all this. So anyway, the Holy Spirit is distinguishable from yet equal with the Father and the Son in this Trinitarian relationship, this Trinitarian relationship, by the way, that nobody really fully understands. And there are many titles, titles that the scriptures give of the Spirit. He's Christ's agent. He's our advocate, what Jesus says here in this passage. He's our guide, our comfort. He's the sanctifier of our lives. He's the one who forms us into the likeness of Christ and applies the work of Christ to our lives. You know, God made his home, home among us when he stepped into our world as God the Son, right? Uh, born in a manger. You know the story, right? And now God dwells with humankind through God the Spirit, inhabiting individuals and the church as a whole. Jesus in his human body, we know, was limited to one geographic location at a time. In his body, it's impossible for him to dwell in you, right? However, you know, his leaving enabled the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in every believer at all times since they are of one essence, right? You know, there's a distinct personhood of the Spirit. He's not an it. He's not an it. And he's not just a power, which some people teach. Notice Jesus uses over and over again the personal pronoun he when speaking of the Spirit, which means that the Christian can interact with the Holy Spirit as one would with any person, right? So in the negative, that would mean that he can be resisted and avoided and grieved. But in the positive, it also means that the Spirit can guide and convict and intercede for and communicate with us. Amen to that, right? The Spirit is God's quiet coming to execute the Father's plan, to, to attest to the Son's saving work, to enlighten, to counsel, to strengthen, to enable life until the Son returns. You know, in this plan, uh, the Father offers life by offering the Son through the power of the Spirit. 
the Son accomplishes his redemptive plan to save humanity in that power of the Spirit. And the Spirit applies the work of the Son with the benefits of salvation and continues to develop and empower believers far into the future, right? Yet, yet still as important as a role as he has, we are able to persistently deny or grieve the Spirit And we wonder why the deeper Christian life eludes us when we do so, right? Now, remember, all three members of the Trinity work together in all things as one essence. Yet within this one God, there are three equal co-eternal persons. God the Spirit proceeds from God the Father through God the Son as co-essential, co-eternal, and co-equal with them. These are important things to understand, even though they sound kind of heady, right? The Spirit was intimately involved in all aspects of the life of Jesus, from conception to empowerment. If you read those passages, you understand it. Jesus was in constant reliant on the Spirit of God. If we take the time to look at the life of Jesus in detail, we realize that the Spirit was empowering him all along his ministry, all along his life, right? Likewise, believers are perfected and guarded and empowered for ministry by the Spirit of God. And he dwells in the body of Christ, right? He builds it. He leads it in worship. He calls people to specific gifts and tasks and vocations and challenges, you know, in life. He empowers the church's witness in missional activity. The Trinity itself in wholeness resides in the church through the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit of God's the glue which keeps the fellowship of the church and the church is the future of the new creation and the power of the Spirit. Amen. The church is a wonderful thing. We've, we've in recent history fallen into really negative, uh, you know, criticisms of the church. And, you know, there are instances that where we need criticism. I'm not denying that. But it's really tainted our view. God loves the church. He loves his bride, and we should as well. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is the down payment for this future hope for the church, despite whatever suffering believers experience right now. You know, Reformed theology centers on the issue of forgiveness of sin and defining the church as those who are justified by faith through through grace, right? But, you know, that's important, and I agree with it. But to stop there would be absolutely incomplete. The justified person, in other words, the one who has received Christ and received that payment for their sin, the justified person moves into a process of sanctification or transformation by the Spirit, transformation into the likeness of Christ by the Spirit, moving us on towards a future hope in our lives. You know, the Son of God himself is present in the church through the ministry of the Spirit. His incarnation, his mission, anointing, and resurrection are all, you know, sort of works of God the Spirit. Glorification of Christ and believers and unity in him are central purposes of the Spirit and the kingdom of God. Amen. Therefore, he becomes not only a future hope for us, right? But he becomes a really ever-present reality um, in, in the life of believers in the church. The church is administered by the Spirit in word and in faith 
and then sacrament and grace and offices and traditions and so on and so forth. You know, if the church could grasp an understanding of the Spirit's power, it wouldn't self-destruct or it wouldn't act in destructive ways. In relation to the kingdom of God, it's the Spirit who reveals Christ and creates faith and brings joy. He's completing the history of God's kingdom in the world for the church and through the church in signs and wonders and charismata and, and in ministries. In short, the Holy Spirit is the church's power. It's like our battery or something like that. It's cool. Uh, you know what? The Spirit helps us speak. He, 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 he bears witness. He reminds us of what we need to know and empowers us to witness. He draws people to God and closer to Jesus, right? And through the power of the Spirit, sin is put aside and we receive a spirit of adoption as children of God, which brings intimacy with the Father and it eradicates all fear and intimidation in that relationship. Thank God for that, right? He convicts of sin before, during, and after our relationship with God is sealed in him. And in this relationship, we find joy and life and freedom and peace and hope. And we find our communal place in the body of Christ for the common good through the Spirit. We find fruit which characterizes our lives in the form of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, right? The Spirit is capable of these things since He is all-powerful, He is ever-present, He is all-knowing, He is eternal, and He is holy. And as a person of the Trinity, He has desire and will and emotion and a mind, and He prays for God's children, much like we. So that was a lot of information right there, all right? And it was just a lot of information because I wanted to show you sort of the Spirit's importance in our lives, in our spiritual formation, and in our calling. But again, I want to ask you the question again. How have we really handled that relationship, our personal relationship with the Spirit of God and our corporate relationship with the Spirit of God? You know, the local church as I said in the beginning, often tends towards extremes. There are parts of the Christian world where the Holy Spirit is often acknowledged, yet rarely pursued in relationship. You know, he becomes a theological axiom, you know, rather than a person to really be experienced. Christ alone becomes central in that expression of church where with the Spirit mentioned only in passing, right? However, we also have lack of a better term, the Pentecostal expression of faith, although I realize not all Pentecostal churches are like that. I just don't have any other term to describe it. But another extreme out there where sometimes the Spirit is overemphasized at the detriment of the Son and the Word and the Father. I really don't want to upset my Pentecostal brothers and sisters uh, because it's not all Pentecostal churches that do that. But neither of those camps seem to really understand and practice faith out of a like sort of a healthy understanding of the Trinity and the work of all three persons of the Trinity in the life of the church. Therefore, in asking what does the Holy Spirit mean to believers, we cannot negate the work of all three persons of the Godhead in unity and in balance. You know, in the Great Commission, Jesus alludes to the work of God as carried out by all 
by way of all three persons of the Trinity, right? In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission, which is Jesus' last command and our first concern, it says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There it is, the Trinity, right? And it says in verse 20, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, in John 13, verse 20, Jesus alludes to the interconnectedness or the oneness of the Trinity when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, so the one that Jesus sends is the Holy Spirit, he says, so whoever receives the one I send receives me, so receives Jesus, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, the Father, right? So to receive one means to receive the other two persons of the Trinity as one essence. Furthermore, as we're given the Holy Spirit as an eternal seal in Christ, as stated in Ephesians 1.13, God the Son also lives in and through us in the power of the Spirit, right? Now, you've heard me, maybe, maybe you've heard me say that my best analogy for the work of the Trinity in our lives are notes on a piano. Each note has three strings, which tune together, produce one unified note, a note that when it's struck, you know, it resonates within us, right? And that's the clearest illustration I can paint of the Trinity working together in our lives. Um, the image of a three-pronged tuning fork is also helpful. It's impossible I'm not sure if you know this, but it's impossible to tune one piano to another, right? However, a thousand pianos or 10,000 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to one another. Think about Christ and the church, right? The Trinity working together in our lives like a three-pronged tuning fork brings unity among believers as we're all tuned to God. The Spirit's work is therefore a communal endeavor as well as an individual endeavor. You know, constantly we hear in the scriptures that the Spirit works in and through, through and for Jesus himself. And this is despite the fact that Jesus was, and we believe this, fully God as the second person of the Trinity. And if Jesus' reliance on the, on the Spirit was so necessary, then we conclude it's the same for, for us believers, right? You know, remember, Jesus did not come to live the life of God in just a man suit, right? He came to live as fully God and fully man, fulfilling all the demands of God's righteousness to live the kind of life that is possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, yet you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen to that, right? You know, this very same spirit who guided and empowered Jesus' ministry was his to give by way of the Father. This speaks of a personal relationship with the Spirit available to all believers right now who can, you know, he can communicate with us as he lives in us, the Spirit which leads us into all truth. That's kind of reassuring if you really think about it. You know, it must have been very incredible 
for the disciples to walk and talk with Jesus, like physically just to be with him. However, Jesus himself said in John 16, 7, it's better that he goes away, that Jesus goes away. Otherwise, we couldn't receive the Holy Spirit. And he promised in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, your, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Amen. You know, the, therefore, if you think about it, the Spirit's role is to glorify the Son who glorifies the Father by reminding us of all that Jesus said and did. Paul Pettit, uh, in his book, Foundations of Spiritual Formation, if you want to read a good book, that's a good one, gives a, a, a wonderful definition of spiritual formation in our lives. He says this, spiritual formation is the ongoing process of the triune God transforming the believer's life and character towards the life uh, toward the life and the character of Jesus Christ accomplishing by the ministry of the accomplished sorry by the ministry of the spirit in the context of biblical community so it is a work of the trinity in us through the power of the spirit in us practiced in community together among us you know, we could say that the Holy Spirit's a wind and the church is a ship. That's a good analogy too, right? That the, the spiritual disciplines, whatever they may be, prayer, worship, study, you know, the daily examine we talked about, journaling and, and, uh, and memorizing scripture and, and you know, uh, whatever. You know, there, there's all kinds of tools that we use to grow closer to Jesus. But, you know, all these things, all these spiritual disciplines are ways in which we put up the sails and we catch the wind of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, think about that phrase, all hands on deck, right? You think about a ship, you know, with all the sails and they, the, the captain shouts, all hands on deck. And we realize by that phrase that, you know, one person not pursuing the life of the Spirit does affect the rest of the, the, the church in negative ways. What would happen if one deckhand didn't do his job on a ship, you know, they, they yelled all hands on deck and the guy was like, ah, I'm going to stay in bed. Well, the ship wouldn't really catch the wind properly. It might limp along or it may just stay dead in the water if he had a big role, right? Yet we've, you know, we must also think about how we put up those sails. And this is important. For instance, if we throw up the sail of studying scripture, but only for the reason of winning an argument or being right or reassuring ourselves in some sort of a notion, then we're not, we've not really put up the sail and trimmed it well to receive the wind. It's not really for us to be transformed by the word. It's really for us to be right in an argument. And that's not putting up the sails to receive the wind of the Spirit, right? If we threw up the sail of prayer as just sort of a mini sermon directed at God, sermonizing the Father as if he didn't know this stuff, right? Not really listening to the Spirit as in prayer. Is that really prayer? I'm not sure it is. Or if we come with a list of demands, which we've convinced ourselves in our own mind that is God's will for us, but we haven't really listened for direction from the Holy Spirit. Is that really truly prayer? You know, maybe prayer is much more of, about me being silent and listening than anything else. See, none of those examples would be putting up a sail and trimming it well to receive the wind of the Spirit in a way which would push the ship forward. 
push my life forward and me in the body of Christ to push it forward. You know, we neglect to acknowledge the spirit in our lives sometimes. You know, we, why not? We, we have Jesus, right? In the all we need. But it is Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit into our lives for these very reasons. You know, and so we bypass that relationship and we tell Jesus things, but we don't really listen to the, listen to the Spirit in our lives. However, if the Holy Spirit's within us and this tuning fork, uh, this tuning fork of the Trinity is supposedly tuning us all to Himself, then we would listen intently, right? If we believe and practice this in community well, not really holding up one voice as any final authority, but checking ourselves in community and against the word of God, we would do really well. Fear of being misguided would dissipate as we see see that wind fill our sails and drives, drive us forward. We'd see God working in great ways. It's really a matter of trust. It's a matter of faith. Do we trust the Holy Spirit's leading or not? Do we have faith that the Holy Spirit is leading us or not? Excuse me. And the sad fact is that some out there in the Christian world have manipulated the situation with very large claims about what the Holy Spirit has said, you know, or on the opposite side, they've not even acknowledged the Spirit's presence or power at all. And either way, that hinders the ship's performance, doesn't it? Remember, God's Spirit dwelled in the tabernacle in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came along and he tabernacled or he dwelt among us as a man. And then there's a farther shift away from a holy building, a holy place to a holy people as the Holy Spirit takes up residence and dwells in the believers upon Jesus leaving. You remember Pentecost when the Spirit came down on the disciples. You know, we are a spiritual house being built up in him. First Peter 2.5 says that. So how can we neglect God the Spirit in us if we are the temple of God ourselves? If we are to properly let go of control and throw up our sails and catch the wind within us, there'd be no room for fear of being wrong or being misled. You know, we are fallible creatures. We'll give ourselves that, right? And we, we do face forces out there that are counter to God's spirit, forces out there in the world, maybe other people, maybe ideologies, or maybe in the spirit world that are counter to God's spirit. However, we have to understand that God is greater than our fallibility, and God is greater than any outside force as well. You know, mistakes will be made in our journey of faith. That's okay, right? But the, the question remains, are we willing to tap into the power that we have in God, the Spirit, in our lives? The writer of 2 Corinthians 3.8 asks, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And he's comparing it to the law of Moses. The idea being that the ministry, the law of Moses, which brought death, spiritual death to us, the law, was and is glorious as it convicts us of sin and our need for salvation. Yet now we step into a new and more glorious ministry of the Spirit of God as Christ completes his work in the world and leaves us with the power of the Spirit to continue it, with this relationship with himself through the power of the Spirit to continue it. The writer continues in verses 17 and 18. He says, 
would, uh, he says it really well. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, so we've, we're coming in front of God, you know, unveiled, right? We, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So God, the spirit in us, leading us into all truth, forming us, shaping us. That is a really great, profound thought if you think about it. You know, it seems for some that these are only spiritual axioms. They're sort of spiritual mathematics, right? Devoid of the fruits of relationship. Some of us have abused this relationship and we've made a spectacle of God out there in the world. Others have grieved the spirit by silence And that's a puppet show on one side and a cold theoretical principle on the other. We don't want either one of those. Some of us have even made our our Christ-centeredness our idol, focusing only on the second person of the Trinity and staying silent on, on the others. It's a travesty because where the spirit is, there's freedom, not fear, not abuse or manipulation or control. Remember, we are riding the spiritual tricycle of the Trinity. So in conclusion, the Spirit is our advocate, he's our guide, our comfort, the one who forms us into the likeness of Christ, who applies the work of Christ to our lives. He attests to Jesus' saving work, he enlightens us and counsels and strengthens and enables the life, uh, uh, life in Jesus. He dwells in the body of Christ local church and global church. He dwells in the body of Christ. He builds it up. He leads it into true worship. He calls people to specific gifting and vocation and tasks. And and he is the power of believers. He's one essence with God, the son and God, the father. He's a member of that Trinity. The spirit, by the way, is exactly what those disciples needed most at that time, although they didn't realize it right then. Mine is today a shallow attempt to describe the Spirit's role in the world and in our lives. But my intention was really to overload you with information, to pack it on, in order to give you a glimpse of the largeness of the Spirit's role and importance in our lives and in our calling. Now, you won't remember every detail that I've spoken today, although it is in writing up on the website later. But hopefully you'll realize that we do have direct access to God, the Holy Spirit, within us. It's a relationship that we can have and we can nurture. Do we believe the Spirit of God lives in us and is able to lead us? That's the real question. So if we threw up our sails to catch that wind, the world would see a powerful church, a loving church, a wonderful church, a holy church, a pure church. And Jesus said we would do greater things, and and we know that those greater things would be directed through the Spirit as he glorifies Christ and applies his work of grace and love to the world. So what would a balanced church look like? One that is riding all three wheels of the tricycle of the Trinity, right? Well, here's a few things, a few thoughts. I think that fruit would naturally grow from us that we wouldn't have to really work at it. It would be a natural progression of of fruit bearing in our lives. That we would be struck with compassion for the suffering in all walks of life, with a healthy response to the issues, not overextending ourselves, but doing exactly what the Spirit directs and desires in any given situation. 
control and manipulation wouldn't be an issue, but order and appreciation of roles, complexity of leadership, and complexity of the human heart would all be understood and respected really well. Life would be valued at all costs, in all ways it would be valued. Bitterness and pride would be kept at bay. There'd be no overpowering desire to manipulate others or win arguments. Decisions would come from prayerful consideration and direction of the spirit instead of knee-jerk reactions of fear or desire. You know, our, our members wouldn't be overly, overtly sensitive or easily hurt. We'd be able to overlook small things and address large issues while upholding trust and checking emotion at the door. We'd be faithful, teachable, reliable people, lighthearted, fun people, even in hard times, like the ones we're going through right now, right? We'd, be, we'd make choices for community and not just ourselves. We'd reveal a heart of God by those choices. Choices which say that others are important and the love shown by, by us would be a witness to all the people groups of the world as we see in our Great Commission call in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, I could keep going with a longer list, but I would say that right now, as I look at our church, you guys reflect much of that. You are growing into this well, myself included, I hope, <laughs> right? I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I hear the reports both internally and externally, and the reports are very encouraging. God bless you guys. You know, if you want to see what a healthy Christian church looks like, read our values, which I made available at the end of the last week's sermon. You can download that easily from our website. And under each value, there's a mature Christian profile which describes what a healthy Christian church looks like in light of, the va- of that value, or what a healthy Christian looks like in light of that value. And living in this balance, walking in and being filled with the Spirit as we follow Jesus, would look a lot like those profiles. So my challenge to you today is do something to nurture that, that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Get quiet before the Lord and allow him to speak. As say, Just sit there and say, Holy Spirit, please speak to me now. And then be quiet and listen. Write down your thoughts. What, what do you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Maybe you need to call or, or email us for a spiritual mentor and get connected so that another person can be a sounding board to hear, let you hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to your life. Sometimes it takes a third party for us to hear what the Spirit is actually doing in our lives. Sit down and actually have a quiet time and read some scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through them. Memorize some scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through that. You know, there are all kinds of different ways we can do this. And that's really a, you know, the spiritual mentor can help us understand those ways. There's a lot of good practices that we can implement to grow and nurture this relationship. And I hope that you guys will. God bless you guys. Uh, Love you. Miss getting together with you like you wouldn't believe. And by all means, uh, call or email me, jason at 68.org. If you want to talk or you want to get together, I'll go for a walk with you. We can social distance on my back porch or my, my front porch and hang out or at your house. You know, I, I, am, I am really uh, longing to get together with people and, and to hear your stories, hear what's going on with you. So God bless you guys. Love you. 
and we will see you next week. Let me pray for us as we, we end. Father, we pray that you would apply this to us, that you would help us to understand that you are not a cold principle, and you are also not a tool of our showmanship, but you are really a, a, a deep, intimate relationship that we, we can and should engage with. So we pray that the life of the Spirit would become more and more evident to all of us, that we could sit down at the end of the day and look back on our days and understand and think and see where your Spirit has moved in conversations and in situations that we're a bit, we've been a part of. We love you so much. We want to use, utilize every little avenue that we have to grow and to develop so that we can be of use in your Great Commission call. And we thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. See you guys next week.